0: Chris, it's Anne from the office, just trying to reach out to you. Um, Give us a call when you have a chance. Hi Nancy, it's Marnie in Canada, just phoning to see if everything's okay, because we've heard terrible reports on the radio, so just calling to confirm. So hopefully we can talk to you soon. I have me Christopher and Michael Benoit wrestled for. The WWF, the WWE, World Championship Wrestling, Extreme Championship Wrestling, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. He held 22 championships between all of the promotions. And he was a one-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion and one-time World Heavyweight Champion in the WWE. Benoit was born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, Son of Michael and Margaret Benoit, but he grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, from where he was actually billed for pretty much throughout his career. Chris idolized the Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart uh, at 12 years old. He attended local wrestling events. Benoit trained to become a professional wrestler at the Hart Family Dungeon, receiving education from one of the best. Stu Hart. His style was a high risk style with a physical appearance, and later he adapted the sharpshooter as his putaway move. He has an homage to uh, the Hart Foundation, the Hart Dynasty, and Stu Hart himself. Benoit lost his tooth, uh, his top right incisor, in an accident early in his wrestling career. One day while playing with the dog, the animal's skull struck Benoit's chin and his tooth popped out. Chris Benoit married twice, having two children, David and Megan, by his first wife, Martina. From 1985 to 1989, Benoit started his career in Stu Hart's Stampede wrestling promotion. And from the very beginning, the similarities between Benoit and the Dynamite Kid were very apparent. Benoit was doing the diving headbutt, and Benoit was also doing the snap suplex, which is an homage to the Dynamite Kid. His first name was Dynamite Chris Benoit. Now, keep in mind that the Dynamite Kid is one of the wrestlers that is part of the ongoing lawsuit that's been going for a few years about concussions, professional wrestling, and the WWE. With that being said, there was talks about Benoit later in his career having too many concussions, and it was affecting his attitude toward the business, toward his family. So going back to the timeline, uh, Benoit went to New Japan Pro Wrestling from 1986 to 1984, kind of overlapping working at Stampede Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, And he actually was a masked wrestler by the name of The Pegasus Kid. And he fought Jusen Thunder Liger for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship August of 1990, where he won his first major championship. And then he eventually lost it November uh, 1990 uh, in Mexico uh, back to Liger. Benoit's first stint in world championship wrestling from 92 to 93, he was only there for about a year. He fought the likes of Too Cold Scorpio and he also formed a tag team with Bobby Eaton. Uh, didn't really find too much success and he just went back to New Japan Pro Wrestling. In 1994, Benoit began working for ECW between his tours of Japan. He was booked as a really dominant wrestler after he put Rocco Rock out of commission, and then he accidentally broke Sabu's neck within a few seconds of the match. Benoit returned to the locker room and broke down over the possibility that he might have paralyzed someone. Uh, Paul Heyman, the head of booking for ECW, continuing the Crippler Monarch for Benoit. From that point until he departed ECW, he was known as the Crippler Benoit. In the book, The Rise and Fall of ECW, Heyman commented that he planned on using Benoit as a dominant heel for quite some time before putting the company's main title, the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, on him to be their long-term champion for the company. Benoit and Dean Malenko won the ECW World Tag Team Champions from Sabu, Tasmaniac, in February of 1995, Benoit's first American title. Benoit was forced to leave ECW after his work visa expired. Heyman was supposed to renew it, but he failed to make it on time, so Benoit left as the matter of job security and ability to enter the United States. When Chris Benoit arrived in WCW for the second time, that's when they started using the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit. At this time, New Japan Pro Wrestling and World Championship Wrestling had a relationship, kind of similar to what Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling have uh, right now, in a talent exchange to wrestle as a representative for New Japan Pro Wrestling in the Super J Cup second stage. Benoit defeated Lionheart in the quarterfinals. Now, if you guys are familiar... Lionheart is Chris Jericho. During that tournament, uh, Benoit received a bye to the quarterfinals for his work in 95, and he lost to Gato in the semifinals. After impressing higher-ups with his work, he was approached by Ric Flair and the WCW booking staff to becoming a member of the reformed Four Horsemen in 1995. Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, and Brian Pillman introduced the Canadian Crippler as the fourth member. During this time, the Horsemen were tormenting Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in their alliance to end Hulkamania. Basically brought the Horsemen teaming up with the Dungeon of Doom, and the leader of Dungeon of Doom at the time was Kevin Sullivan. After Brian Pillman abruptly left the company to join the WWF at the time, Benoit was placed into an ongoing feud with Sullivan. The storyline was Chris Benoit, the Canadian Crippler, was having an affair with the valet called Nancy, also known as Woman, In the storyline, Benoit and Nancy were forced to spend time together and look like that they're having an affair. But what happened was, is in real life, emotions got the best of them and their on-screen relationship developed into a real-life affair off-screen. On the DVD Hard Knocks, the Chris Benoit story, Benoit actually admitted that Kevin Sullivan never took liberties in the ring knowing that Chris Benoit and Nancy were having an affair and it broke up his marriage. The only thing I could think of is maybe Kevin Sullivan and Nancy were having problems before and he pretty much knew that the marriage was over. And he booked her into a storyline, positioning her in front of another wrestler for the story. Emotions got the best of Nancy and Chris Benoit and it kind of went from there. You never heard anything from Kevin Sullivan about like, maybe I should have not put my wife in the hands and arms of another man So this brings up uh, one of the rumors that was said that Kevin Sullivan potentially could have been involved is because of a relationship that happened in 1985. Chris Benoit got married to Nancy 20 years later, comes back and kills Benoit and Nancy. I don't think so. I think if there was any kind of retaliation, it would have been during that time. If anybody says that Kevin Sullivan had anything to do with it, you're a complete idiot, and I completely don't think that Kevin Sullivan would waste his time in a relationship that ended 20 years ago. In 1998, Benoit had a long feud with Booker T. They fought over the WCW World Television Championship until Booker T lost the title to Fit Finley. Booker won the best of seven series, which was held between two to determine the number one contender. Benoit went up 3-1 to one before Booker caught up, forcing the seventh match on Monday Nitro. During the seventh match, Bret Hart tried to get Chris Benoit to join the New World Order, and he refused, and Booker T didn't want to win that way, basically, so they had a proper seventh match to determine who was the number one contender. Booker T had won that match and then went on to beat Fit Finley for the television title. And that feud basically launched Booker T from not just a tag team wrestler to a main eventer, as well as Chris Benoit to the upper card main eventer. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko once again would defeat Kurt Henning and Barry Windham to win the WCW World Tag Team Championships. That would actually cause a riff in the Four Horsemen. Uh, Arn Anderson and Mongo McMichael wanted to be champions. And during that time, they kind of passed the pedals around a little bit from Mongo McMichael to Anderson, and then went back to Kurt Henning and Barry Windham, and then it would go to Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. After that kind of bouncing around had settled down a little bit, Chris Benoit had started a faction of his own, bringing Shane Douglas, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and himself, calling themselves Revolution. The revolution was a heel stable of the youngest wrestlers who felt slighted, both in kayfabe and legitimate, by WCW management, believing they never got the chance to be stars, they're pushing older guys, more established wrestlers, seceding from WCW and forming their own nation, complete with a flag. This led to some friction between the creators, Benoit, and the leader, Douglas, who called into question Benoit's heart into the group causing Benoit to quit the group, turn face, and have his own crusade against top wrestlers, winning the television title one more time and the United States title from Jeff Jarrett in a ladder match. By January 2000, Benoit was pretty unhappy with WCW. However, due to one last attempt, January 2000 was made to try to keep Benoit... With wcw by putting the vacant wcw world heavyweight championship on him by defeating sid vicious at sold out however due to disagreements with management and protest the promotion of kevin sullivan to head booker benoit left the company the next day alongside his friends eddie guerrero Dee malenko and perry saturn forfeiting his title in the process WCW refused to acknowledge Benoit's victory as an official title reign, and Benoit's title reign was not listed in the title's lineage at WCW.com. However, the WWF recognized Benoit's title win, and Benoit's title reign is still listed in the lineage of the WWE. Benoit spent the next few weeks in Japan before heading to the WWF to who acknowledged his WCW World Heavyweight Championship win and presented him as a former world champion. Now, I understand business, okay? So you've got these four guys that defect from WCW. Benoit wins the championship. WCW doesn't recognize it. WWF recognizes him as a champion. Now, WWF didn't have to do that. They could have very easily just had the four guys come in, build them from the ground up, create a faction, do whatever, and then not recognize him as the champion. So I don't know if it was a power play for him to come to WWE or WWF at the time, or if they were doing it just out of respect for his work. I don't think they're going to do that if they're not dealing with somebody that has a good reputation with the promotions that he is in. I understand he had the thing with his future wife, and I understand he had issues with Kevin Sullivan, who was assistant booker, and then he was made the head booker. So I understand that he had legitimate issues, personal issues, in the ranks of WCW, but I don't hear all kinds of stories about him being a problem in the locker room. Wrestlers, performers... Throughout the last 30 years, 35 years that I've been watching wrestling that have a reputation with the performers, with fans like myself who've been watching wrestling since I was a little kid, there's people that have reputation for being bad and being a pain in the butt in the back and being disrespectful to fans if they want an autograph or a picture. Like, I get that, but I don't see the WWE, WWF at the time going through all this just to deal with an idiot i just don't think that the wwe wwf at the time would risk their reputation on somebody that they thought was a bad egg or they didn't respect and they didn't like his work like if i'm in a business situation with somebody and i've heard stories about you know them having arguments with uh other co-workers or management or not showing up on time I'm not going to hire that person. I'm not going to stick my reputation, my name on the line just because. I mean, that's just common sense. So with Chris Benoit, when he got signed to the WWE, apparently they didn't see any legitimate reasons not to hire him. Along with Guerrero, Saturn, and Malenko, the Radicals debuted and aligned themselves with Triple H and became a heel faction. Benoit quickly won his first title in the WWF just over a month after WrestleMania 2000, pinning Chris Jericho in a triple threat match to win Kurt Angle's Intercontinental Championship. It was also in this time period that Benoit wrestled in his first WWF pay-per-view main event, challenging The Rock for the WWF Championship at Fully Loaded in July as part of a fatal four-way match at Unforgiven in September. On both occasions, Benoit appeared, have won the title, only to have decisions reversed by then-WWF Commissioner Mick Foley. Early 2001, Benoit broke away from the Radicals, who had recently formed three months earlier, turned face. His first major feud after the Radicals is Kurt Angle, whom he wrestled and lost at WrestleMania 27 he gained some amount of revenge after beating angle in an ultimate submission match at backlash the feud continued after benoit stole angles cherished gold medals the next night on raw's war in san jose california Jericho and Benoit challenged WWF Tag Team Champions Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H, the two-man power trip. On May 21st, 2001, Jericho and Benoit ended their reign, and as a result of the win, Benoit aided Jericho in becoming the fourth Grand Slam champion. Jericho and Benoit would use that win to springboard to challenge Austin for his world title. Benoit got two title matches the following week, first losing in a manner similar to the Montreal screwjobbing in Calgary, and then losing to a close match in Benoit's hometown of Edmonton. Benoit suffered a neck injury in a four way tlc match where required surgery with dr lloyd youngblood despite this he continued to wrestle until the king of the ring where he was pinned in a triple threat match versus austin and jericho benoit would miss the next year due to a neck injury missing the entire invasion storyline okay so doing a little research on dr lloyd youngblood He's an American neurosurgeon. Uh, He was the chief department neurosurgeon at Methodist Hospital in San Antonio, Texas, until 2002. He's currently the VP of South Texas Organ Bank. Working exclusively with professional wrestlers, Youngblood had performed neck surgeries on several professional wrestlers, including Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Edge, Lita, Gregory Helms, Bob Holly, Scotty Tuhati, Test, and rhino he's also worked extensively with stone cold steve austin and matt and jeff hardy okay now this is just my opinion okay let's take a look at this list kurt angle uh, he's had a big time career after he hurt his neck he took some time off went to tna had a huge career now he's the gm for wwe chris benoit supposed murder suicide edge eventually had to retire from the business. Lita eventually had to retire from the business. Gregory Helms, I think, is still working indie dates. Bob Holly had to retire. Scotty Tuhati had to retire. Tess committed suicide. And Rhino is still performing. Stone Cold Steve Austin had to retire, as well as Matt and Jeff Hardy. Huge last couple years with their new gimmick. But not, they're not quite doing all the stuff that they used to do, but they still look great. But you're talking about half this list. Two of the people had major neck and brain trauma and committed suicide. I don't know. Could be a connection. Just saying. So let's just make this clear. This is my opinion. This is my speculation. But I think that the beginning of the issues that Chris Benoit was having is the result after this surgery. In June of 2003, WCW United States Championship was reactivated, and renamed the WWE United States Championship, and Benoit participated in a tournament for the belt. He lost in the final match to Eddie Guerrero at Vengeance. The two feuded over the title for the next month, and Benoit went on to defeat the likes of A-Train, Big Show, and Brock Lesnar by submission. General Manager Paul Heyman had a vendetta against Benoit, preventing him from gaining a shot at Lesnar's WWE title. 2004, Benoit won a qualifying match for the 2004 Royal Rumble against the fully blooded Italians in a handicap match with John Cena. Heyman named him as the number one entrant. On January 25th, 2004, he won the Royal Rumble, eliminating The Big Show and thus earning a world title shot. At WrestleMania 20, he became only the second WWE performer to win the Royal Rumble at the number one position. The only other performer to do that is the Hall of Famer, Shawn Michaels. On March 14, 2004, at WrestleMania 20, Benoit won the World Heavyweight Champion by forcing Triple H to tap out to his signature move, the Crippler Crossface. After the match, Benoit celebrated with his win with the reigning WWE Champion, Eddie Guerrero. The rematch was held at Backlash in Benoit's hometown. The next night in Calgary, Benoit and Edge won the World Tag Team titles from Batista and Ric Flair, making Benoit a double champion. A few weeks later... Benoit and Edge would lose the tag team titles against La Resistance and Randy Orton defeated Benoit August 15, 2004 to win the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam. On June 9th, Benoit was drafted back to SmackDown after being the first man selected by the SmackDown brand in 2005 draft lottery, participating in an ECW-style revolution against the SmackDown Heels. Benoit appeared at one-night stand, defeating Eddie Guerrero. On July 24th at the Great American Bash, Benoit failed to win the WWE United States Championship from Orlando Jones, but won a rematch at SummerSlam in 25 seconds. Benoit then won three consecutive matches against Jordan in less than one minute. Benoit later wrestled Booker T in a friendly competition until Booker and his wife, Sharmel, cheated Benoit out of the United States title in October on november 13, 2005 eddie Guerrero's body was found in his hotel room the night following raw held a guerrero tribute show hosted by both raw and smackdown superstars benoit was devastated at the loss of his best friend and was very emotional during the series of video testimonials eventually breaking down on camera some of his colleagues state that He was never the same after Eddie's death. The same week on SmackDown, Benoit defeated Triple H in a tribute match to his fallen friend. Following the contest, Benoit, Helmsley, and Dean Malenko all assembled in the ring and pointed to the sky saluting Eddie Guerrero. In 2006, after controversial surrounding the U.S. title defense against Booker T, Theodore Long set up the Best of Seven series between Booker T, who won three times, and... Chris Benoit, who won three times. Benoit won the fourth match to stay alive at Armageddon, but after the match, Booker suffered a legitimate groin injury. Basically, what happened was is he had a rivalry with Booker T. He legitimately got hurt, and then they said, No, you got to start over again, and they chose Randy Orton as the stand-in. Benoit defeated Orton twice by disqualification. However, in the seventh and final match, Orton defeated Benoit with the help of Booker T, Shamel, and Orlando Jones- and Booker T captured the United States title. Benoit feuded with Orton for a short time, only to compete against Booker for the U.S. title. Benoit was given one last chance at the U.S. title at No Way Out and won by making Booker submit to the Crippler Crossface. Ending the feud, soon after, Benoit defeated Orton in the No Holds Barred match on SmackDown, On October 8th, Benoit made his return at No Mercy, defeating William Regal in a surprise match. Later that week, he won his fifth United States championship from Mr. Kennedy. Benoit then engaged in a feud with Chavo Guerrero and Vicky Guerrero. He wanted answers for the Guerreros for their rash behavior toward Rey Mysterio, but was avoided by the two and was eventually assaulted. This would lead to the two embarking on a feud with title implications at the next two pay-per-views. The feud would culminate with one, One last match, a no disqualification match, which also won by Benoit, MVP, who claimed he was the best man for the U.S. title, challenged Benoit for the title at WrestleMania 23, where Benoit retained. Their rivalry would continue with similar results again at Backlash and Judgment Day. However, MVP did game the upper hand and won the title in two out of three falls match. On June 11th, episode of Raw, Benoit was drafted from SmackDown to ECW as part of the 2007 WWE Draft. After losing a match to Bobby Lashley, Benoit won the ECW debut match, teaming with CM Punk, defeating Elijah Wood and Marcus Corvan by disqualification. On June 19th, Ben Ra wrestled his last match defeating Burke in a match to determine who would compete for the vacated ECW World Championship at Vengeance. Benoit missed the weekend's house show, telling WWE officials that his wife and son were vomiting blood due to food poisoning. When he failed to show up to the next pay-per-view, viewers were informed that he was unable to compete due to family emergency. As you know, yesterday afternoon, approximately around 230 30. Uh, The Sheriff's Department received a call for a welfare check here at the Benoit residence. That call came from Mr. Benoit's employers. Apparently, he had missed some engagements earlier this weekend um, out of state. They became concerned for his uh, health and well-being. Deputies arrived on scene. Once searching the house, they were able to locate three bodies inside of the home here. Those bodies were Mr. Benoit himself, his wife Nancy, and their son Daniel. All three subjects were deceased. From an investigation that has taken place since that time yesterday afternoon and continued at the crime lab earlier today where autopsies were performed on all three subjects and ruling it as a double homicide-suicide in a community like this, it's bizarre just to have a murder-suicide. and certainly uh, involving the death of a seven-year-old child. I think that's what I'm struck by most through all of this, is that there's a seven-year-old little boy who, who's dead. And I, I don't think we'll ever be able to wrap our minds around that completely. <laughs> Now, there's a whole bunch of theories uh, to the death of Chris Benoit and Nancy and their eight-year-old son. Some say it's mental health. Some say it's drugs. Some say it's just complications for him being a wrestler and smacking his head on the person's body or the turnbuckle or whatever it is that caused brain trauma. I think it had a little bit to do with the doctor because some of the doctor's, other patients have had mental issues and and or committed suicide on their own. So I think the doctor had a little bit to do with it. Maybe, um, you know, every time you have brain or neck surgery, there's a risk that there's complications. And I think some of these complications are mental health complications, unfortunately. But here's a list of some of the uh, different theories that uh, some people have kind of... Ca- formulated through the years. Number one, Chavo Guerrero, a close friend of Benoit, told WWE Magazine that he talked to Chris for a while on Friday night on his house phone. About 45 minutes into the conversation, Chris told him that there was somebody knocking at the door and he was going to see who it was. Shortly after Chris answered the door, there was a scuffle and then his house phone line went dead. Chris only could be reached on his cell phone about three hours later this is very significant this explains where there was no force entry Chris let the killer or killers in number two after Chavo reached Chris on the cell phone he said that Chris sounded very odd groggy and tired he also said that Chris told him I love you Chavo which it sounded forced the WWE also said that when Chris called in and told them that nancy and daniel were sick he did not sound like himself he sounded groggy chris then said i love you which they say was way out of context because he usually didn't say stuff like this number three crispin ma's cell phone is missing the police cannot find his cell phone or the needles that they say chris used to inject himself with steroids certainly before his death the police have turned his cell phone off Number 4. Chris was not hanging from the weight machine. He was laying on the floor underneath the machine. Another officer said that Benoit was slumped against the weight machine. Number 5. There was a white cloth wrapped around Chris's neck. If he was so suicidal, why would he care that his neck is bruised? Number 6. The medical examiner says that Chris Benoit died on Saturday. The text messages were sent on Sunday. Chris was already dead, so who sent the text messages? It is no, it is noted that nobody talked to Chris on Sunday. Number seven, the steroids found in Chris's house were not in his body. Number eight, Chris had murdered his family. Then why did he need to text people? Think about it. Everybody was dead. Nobody would hear him talk, so why text? Calling would have been easier. I believe the killer texted Benoit's address to get somebody to come to the house to find the bodies. Number nine, Chris sent Chavo a text message telling him his address. Why would he do this? Chavo already knows where Chris lives. He spent the previous weekend with him. Number ten, Chris's body was badly decomposed, about the same as Nancy. This shows he died sooner than Sunday. Number eleven, why would he tie up Nancy to kill her? He was a bigger guy. He could have just hit her one or two times and she would be out. The world press is reporting the matter of the death's wrong. He said that Daniel was shot in the head and Nancy was shot in the chest. Number 13, Chavo said that the Chris Benoit seemed worried about something, but he could not get Chris to open up and tell him what he was worried about. Number 14, there was no Bibles besides Chris's body. Why would he place a Bible beside Nancy and Daniel's if not placed one beside his own if he knew he was about to take his own life? Number 15. There were 10 empty beer cans and an empty bottle of wine besides Chris's body. He tested negative for alcohol. Number 16. The toxicology confirmed that Chris had hydrocodone, painkillers, Xanax, anti anxiety drugs combined will syndicate Chris and make him very sleepy, so he could not fight back. Number 17. The police originally said that Daniel died on Friday because his body was badly decomposed. This supports my belief that all three died on Friday night. The police changed the matter of Daniel's death three times. First, he died in a garbage bag. Second, he died from chokehold. Third, he was smothered by a pillow. Why would they be changing? Number 18, the police kept changing the location of Nancy's body where it was found. First, she was found downstairs in the family room. Second, she was found upstairs bedroom. Third, she was found in the house office. Number 19, Chris's father said that Chris called him on Father's Day and told him he wished he could spend more time with his family but had to work. One of Nancy's friends said that Nancy loved Chris and She had no plans to leave him. Number twenty. Retired wrestler Bam Bam Bigelow died one hundred nineteen oh seven. Sherry Martell died six fifteen oh seven. The Benoit family died six twenty two oh seven. Since the family died, two other wrestlers have died Brian Adams and Johnny Crush in July and August. Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Brian Pillman all died the night before they were set to win a title belt. Sherry Martel's death is even more suspicious to me. Sherry Martel had ties to Nancy Benoit's ex-husband Kevin Sullivan. The circumstances surrounding her death have not been released. Number 21. Kevin Sullivan told Chris Benoit that he would kill him. Kevin is currently a high-ranking member of the satanic cult. Kevin is also a WWE WWE board of directors. Kevin Sullivan also had a motive to kill Daniel Benoit because he was Chris and Nancy's offspring. Retired wrestler Dusty Rhodes said that he danced with the devil when working with Kevin Sullivan, who was known to be a cold-hearted conniving. The Benoit family was murdered on the 10th anniversary of Nancy's divorce from Kevin Sullivan. Number 22. Nancy Benoit's death was posted on the internet 14 hours before her body was found. Number 23. Weeks before he died, Chris Benoit's colleagues said that Chris began talking alternative routes to and from work and back to his house. Chris and Nancy believed that somebody was following them. Chris' friends dismissed his worries as paranoia. Paranoia. The Benoit family was murdered the same week that WWE had a storyline of who killed Vince McMahon. These are a lot of different kinds of theories. and Some of them are actually pretty plausible. I could see it potentially happening. It's hard to say... Like I, I still think he had some mental issues that he was dealing with. Maybe a little bit before his surgery, but definitely after. And it's very possible that maybe he had a gambling problem or maybe he had some other problem with, with other people and they come to basically uh, get payback. It That's very possible. Possibly a drug person, maybe the person he got his prescriptions from or somebody that he got... Uh, drugs from he wasn't paying or he was conniving or he was doing something and it came to 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 pay i just don't understand for somebody that loved being a father how he could kill his own son that's the that's the that's the one thing that's the sticky part about this is regardless if he had mental issues and his marriage wasn't going that great I got the feeling that he still loved his son. It would definitely take a certain mindset to kill anybody. It takes a certain mindset to kill an animal if you're a hunter. So it's one of those things that I guess we're never going to know. But I guess the biggest thing in conclusion is, is if you have somebody that you know or a coworker or a celebrity that you happen to know and they're dealing with mental health issues, try to help them. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't say, oh, this person is just this person. Oh, I'll just do this instead. Try to help them. I think there's too many people that kind of do their own thing, and then they kind of just poke in and and say hello to their friends and maybe have some coffee, and then they go back to their own lives. If you see that somebody's struggling, help them out. Or refer them to maybe a doctor that that can help them, um, a psychologist that can help them. Uh, A doctor that might be able to prescribe some uh, medication to help with their anxiety. Don't just leave them hanging. You know, Chris Benoit, there's a lot of different theories. He definitely had mental health issues, regardless if he was the one that, that did the killing or not. He had mental health issues. And his friends, Chavo Guerrero, Booker T, Chris Jericho, it sounded like they sort of reached out. It uh, sounded like Chava was probably the main one that really cared about that really cared about Chris Benoit and talked to him uh, days or hours before this tragedy happened. It sounded to me that Chava was his heart was in good in a good place and he was trying to help. But I think because it was just him trying to help, maybe he didn't quite get to Chris Benoit that maybe he, you know, thought he should I have gotten to him i don't know I, I think you know his heart was in the right place he was trying to do the right thing but maybe a couple other voices and and people trying to give chris benoit some help uh, may might have stopped this tragedy whatsoever it, but it might not have if he was murdered it'll, it would unfortunately it would have happened anyway we don't know this so um so just in closing. Thank you for listening to my podcast. This is a very difficult podcast to do because it's like you try to pick both sides. You try to be right down the middle and kind of see all the information that's given. Thank you so much for listening and have a good night. The number one podcast in the world. (laughs) Talk Wrestling Podcast.